the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Welcome in. Let's do a little stock talk. Let's talk about the market. Let's talk about sectors. Let's talk about investing. Obviously, you probably know if you've been paying attention to the stock market in the last 10 years is that dividend stocks have done very, very well. There's a lot of things you probably know. Um, you, Some of them you hold very closely to yourself that may be incorrect. Some of them you hold very closely to yourself that may be correct. But things along the lines of like, um, are Republicans good or Republicans bad or Democrats good or Democrats bad? Is a Republican Congress better than a Democrat Congress? We could talk about anything along those lines that's tied towards investing. We're not necessarily talking about things that are tied towards, um, when we talk politics, we're not talking about what your personal opinion is. We're talking about how it plays out with investing. So far, you get a lot of gridlock in the last, I'm going to almost say 25, 30 years, right? You go back to uh, uh, President Clinton. He came in with, remember the, well, he came in with the Democrat Congress, but the Republicans kind of swept Congress, and uh, they had that first 100 days, and kind of all was well on Wall Street, because there was that conflict. There was that, let's not get the Republican agenda done, let's not get the Democrat agenda done, let's get something that's a little bit more moderate. So, keep that in mind. Sometimes it's the middle that ultimately wins. Four of this year's five best-performing ETFs, exchange-traded funds. Now, what's an exchange-traded fund? Exchange-traded fund is kind of a modern-day mutual fund. What's a mutual fund? A mutual fund is a collection of stocks. Let's say it's 20 stocks, and they, sometimes they could be very general. Uh, they could cover the whole market. Um, they could be growth stocks. They can be value stocks. They could be big companies. They could be small companies. They could be tech companies. They could be retail companies. They could be, let's say, a bullet shot into hardware of technology. They can be semiconductors. They can be software of technology. So there's so many different ways to play it. Um, but mutual funds had the problem of, when they originally came out, they were actively managed. So you had to pay someone like me. Uh, portfolio manager Rob Black. Um, I wanted my 1.8%. Because I wasn't going to work for free. I wasn't going to give my secrets for free. And then competition came in, and it came down to like 1.7% per year, 1.6% a year. And then... You know, someone got the bright idea of like, hey, we don't need him. We could figure out what the top 20 semiconductor stocks are, and we'll just put it in an index. And suddenly those fees were cut in half. So that's where index funds kind of are passive. Actively management funds are, 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 are aggressive, dynamic. Um, so you pay for that dynam dynamite. I, I don't own any dynamic funds at this point in time. I don't own any actively managed mutual funds. Um, I own index funds. I own some ETFs. Um, you know, maybe in my 401k there might be one or two actively managed, but I don't think so. 
So amongst the U.S. listed exchange-traded funds this year, now exchange-traded funds a lot like a mutual fund, but slightly different. And when I say by slightly different, what I mean is that it's, uh, well, it's slightly different. Um, instead of buying and selling stocks throughout the day, where you have to wait till the end of the day to see what everything settles down at, they're very passive. Um, they're just, you know, um, you kind of get what you get there. So the top U.S.-listed exchange-traded funds this year, and there's not as much tax liability with an exchange-traded fund. Well, there's no tax. Well, you're not inheriting. If a mutual fund has 10 great years of up, you're inheriting capital gains taxes of someone else's gains. Um, so ETFs don't have that. It's the, that's probably their biggest advantage, and also they're super low cost. And they've kind of taken over the markets in the last 15 years. So amongst the top U.S.-listed exchange-traded funds with more than $2 billion in market cap, the iShares Morgan Stanley Country Index China ETF is up 34% through Friday. Now, all I'm going to throw out there is, and again, this show could be replayed again and again and again, is why do you think China's up and why do you think 34%? That's a really good question. If you look at the calendar, you're like, whoa, that's an outsized return. I'll take that. My house isn't up 34%. My salary isn't up 34%. Um, blood pressure might be, but nothing else, right? Um, China's considered a grower. So that's worthy of note, right? Um, they're considered a growth economy, and they, they're growing faster than the U.S. Now, a lot of people go, well, that's not fair, because their politicians like print money. Well, ours do, too. Hey, the people are like, that's not fair because they've got initiatives of, like, everyone must buy a house. Well, we do too at times in the United States. Uh, so other big ETFs that are doing well is the Morgan Stanley Country Index, all country Asia, excluding Japan, up 26%. Oh, by the way, the China um, uh, ticker symbol is MCHI, and the all country Asia X Japan is AAXJ. Uh, the third best performer is the um, S&P Biotech ETF, XBI. And the top five finish off with the iShares South Korea, ticker symbol EWI, and the iShares India, ticker symbol INDA. Now, like South Korea, you'd go, don't they have issues tied towards North Korea and bombs and dictators? Um, we... Uh, I'll throw out that joke later. What do you call... Oh, what do you call a potato tied towards a man's private areas? A dictator. So, I'll be here all day. Some strategists ultimately think, you know, why are there four out of five top ETFs tied towards countries? Well, Asia's fast-growing. It's always been considered fast-growing for the last 40 years um, compared to the United States. A developed market... So, um, if you've ever been to Asia, and this is not a knock on all of Asia, but many parts of Asia are really, really, really undeveloped. Dirt roads, um, one-lane highways, highways kind of thing, right? Um, so, Asia markets have, have been a very exposed space. Now you have over $400 billion that have been on the sidelines waiting for money you know, opportunities. And that's one of the reasons you look at countries. Because, again, taking a look at a country, you could say something along the lines of, you know, let's take a look at their education system. Let's take a look at their political system. Let's take a look at their banking system. India is one of the best in the world. 
And I would say 10 years ago, I was uh, forced to make a choice, which would I rather invest in? And there's a mutual fund family here in the Bay Area called Matthews, and they do the Matthews China Fund, the Matthews Asia Fund, the Matthews India Fund. And I read all their research um, that I can get my hands on. And I like India It's a, compared to China. Now, again, this is a knock on China only a lot of times in the, in the PR world where, you know, they still have a strong form of communism that likes to play capitalism light. They like to open their trade to the world when it helps benefit them, as do all countries, right? Um, but it's still, at times, they still kind of lay down the law of, like, we're going to censor our people. We're going to monitor our people. Where India is a much more open country. Um, and, you know, India is not growing as fast as China, but India is a little more stable. So sometimes you go, which one do I want? Do I want the guy who can run pretty fast or the fastest one? The fastest one tends to have fits and bouts and, and uh, ups and starts and, and, and such. Whereas the more developed one, India, tends to be a little more consistent. So consider ETFs tied towards countries to give you a little extra diversity in your portfolio. Exchange-traded funds. Um, the one that I like, uh, MCI India ETF is ticker symbol INDA. We talked about biotech, XBI. We talked about South Korea, EWY. And we talked about Japan, AAXJ. No, all country Asia, excluding Japan. I'm Rob Black talking stock. Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and your money live on the Bay Area Airwaves. Weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW and streaming live on the KDOW radio app or KDOW.biz. And don't forget the weeknight replay at 7. I'm Rob Black talking money invested in more. Oh my. Back in the late 90s and early 2000s, I did a radio show called Stock Talk with Rob Black. And it was kind of a nationwide phenomenon in stock radio shows, in large part because I was a tech analyst talking tech stocks at a golden age of tech investing. Uh, You put those three things together and you had quite a storm. And uh, it's, I moved to California to, you know, because I enjoyed the tech atmosphere. So anytime Apple would come out with an announcement, I'd like, ooh, let's go find out what they're talking about. Anytime Microsoft would come up with something different, you'd be like, let's see if this is going to win or lose. Um, it was kind of important. It, it felt important. The golden age of tech investing has, has kind of passed, but it will, too, create fads and opportunities for you that you can win in. Um, I myself feel too much of a uh, compulsion to protect you to start talking about the latest, craziest things in investing. Um, And I'll go back, you know, just three or four years. I'm not going to buy into the Bitcoin conversation until I feel that your grandmother won't get hurt by the Bitcoin conversation. Uh, When you see things like China saying they're going to freeze cryptocurrency marketplaces... Uh, something like a Chinese, I'm not going to say dictator, but something like a Chinese communist leader can basically affect, you know, your short-term market gyrations and volatility. And I don't like that. And, uh, you know, a lot of people get really super emotional about it. So it is something that I pay a lot of attention to um, as, quote-unquote, do no harm, do no evil. 
800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. How about the newest and latest from Apple? Talking stock talk, talking tech talk, talking Mr. Roboto. The telecommunication market may soon, you know, once again be upended by the Apple effect. Will the Apple Watch ever truly catch on? And it dominates the fit fitness category. Dominates it. A couple of years ago, it was Fitbit. Um, not so much anymore. So the Apple AirPods are quite nice. They almost instantly sync to Bluetooth. So you open the case, and by the time you put them in your ears, you're listening to music. So you don't have to do that whole connected device thing. Pretty powerful. You can put your phone down, walk 20 yards away, and it's still connected. Pretty nice. You know, what we eventually are going to need are some you know services that go to these outside devices other than phones that can operate on their own. And that's the big thing with the new Apple Watch. Apple transformed the terms of the wireless phone business with its first iPhone. And we're waiting for the iWatch to kind of do that same transformation. Um, the 10th anniversary iPhone uh, is going to sell a lot of augmented reality apps just because they have augmented reality in the camera. I don't care if it's great or not. It's going to sell a lot of apps because people are going to wake up Christmas morning and go, gee, Dad, I can't do anything with this augmented reality. Let's get on the app store. So analysts are jumping up in their numbers on apps, which when you see things like Pokemon Go, which is augmented reality, pulling a billion plus dollars, and Apple gets 30%, sometimes 15%, depending on the publisher. It's pretty good. Apple makes a lot of money when you subscribe to Netflix on the through the iTunes store. So the 10th anniversary iPhone, uh, big event, big, 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 big event. But the iWatch is what a lot of people are starting to watch. It's like, what is their next sustainable product that's kind of all that? We knew the Apple One Watch wasn't going to be all that at a bucket of chicken. The two was much, it had some great improvements. Now, the three we're paying attention to. The big rumor and the big story on the Apple Watch will probably you know, make use of an emerging technology called Embedded SIM. Uh, that could further separate the purchase of a new electronic gadget from the grip of the phone companies. And that's something that scares the phone companies. So there's a company called Gemalto, ticker symbol GTO. It's a supplier to the phone companies. Inside every smartphone is a subscriber identity module, or SIM, which is a teeny, teeny, tiny little plastic card with a chip that employees at the phone store shove inside the device when you buy a new unit. The SIM tells a wireless network that you're a valid customer, so you can connect uh, through the telecommunication carrier's lines. Are they called lines if they're wireless? I'm so confused right now. That embedded SIM or eSIM, which has been independent, uh, has been in development for numbers and numbers of years by a wireless industry consortium known as the GSM Association works differently. The chip is built into the device when it's made. Nothing needs to be inserted. Moreover, an eSIM can be set up to be remotely uh, through the internet and you never even need to visit a store. So the Apple Watch has this eSIM and it's going to make it possible that independent data connections. So you might order a watch, open the box, then pick a wireless provider right from the device or from an app on your phone. Now, the eSIM has been incredibly slow to take off. As you can imagine, that consortium doesn't want it to take off. It's been placed within some automobiles with internet connections. It's been placed in industrial equipment. 
So Samsung's own smartwatch has it. The first eSIM device, I believe, but I'm sure there's someone else. Uh, there's a ex-CEO of Zoran who's got the first uh, MP3 player, and someone offered him $150,000 for it. And that's pretty cool. How much would you pay for any first tech device that does a great technology? So the eSIM is in less than 1% of all mobile and automotive devices globally. Everyone's sitting on their hands and waiting for Apple to say, we're going to make this a standard. And if they do, we didn't light the fire. Well, yeah, Apple did light the fire. So because everyone trails Apple in the smartphone race. So if the market for eSIM is waiting to take off, you have to have it with the, something with Apple endorsing it. So, you know, the big question is the Apple Watch having it, allowing you to um, pick your data connectors. It's going to be pretty interesting to see if this lights a fire or hurts AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile, or Sprint. Apple Watch, uh, moving the Apple, the eSIM from the, the phone, from the watch to the phone to the iPad which would allow you to select which carrier you want on a month-by-month basis using a programmable version of the normal SIM card. Apple Watch is going to follow in that tradition. The iPhone may be next. So the launch of the Apple Watch is going to be closely watched to see how the eSIM works or doesn't work and how that plays with the five, you know, the big consumer uh, telecommunication players, AT&T, Verizon, uh, T-Mobile, and Sprint. So... The subsidies that have enticed consumers are still a big advantage for carriers, but those subsidies fade over the years. Now we're going to see if the watch with wearable technology gets a big, giant, scary leap into the unknown for telecommunication players. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. I want you to look at everything in the world as an investment product. And I know that sounds stupid, but I think it kind of is. I want you to like have a very big realization that if you're 40 years old and you haven't saved money, that you're probably going to work till the day you die. The 40s decade for most is the time where you should reach your peak income. It often looks like a picture of, you know, hey, I could finally afford that trip to Disney. And it's not going to wreck me financially. It should start being like, you know, but if I do do Disney this time, I'm not going to not invest. I'm not going to take three years or four years off from investing. I'm going to do this right. 40s decade is just critical to me for you to understand that it's all about retirement savings. Um, in your 30s, you should have between, when you turn 30, you should have between ten and $40,000 saved for retirement. And if you don't, you're behind. Why do I say ten to 40000 That's a big difference. Because it depends on where you live. It's not that big of a difference. It's a lifestyle choice. Um, later in retirement, by the time you're 40, I want you to have somewhere between 100 and 400. By the time you retire, I want you to have 10 to 20 times your income. So if you're making $100,000, I want you to have between $1 and $2 million. And honestly, that may not be enough. And you're like, you're giving me some pretty vague freaking numbers, 10 to 20. And you're saying that's that, like, Rob, you could drive a truck through that. It's kind of like, I, I used to say my last girlfriend's, that I'll say my, my first wife's, my first wife's thought process. You could drive a truck through that. It's so wide. Uh, boil it down for me. Boil it down for me, Rob. 
But sometimes you can't because, again, it depends on you and your lifestyle. For a four-year-old with nothing to save for retirement, putting away $650 a month, about 15% of a $50,000 average annual salary in the United States can get you about a million dollars in retirement savings by 67. And that'll work for somewhat if you decide you want to be in Arkansas or in Mississippi. Ah, M, ah, cookie letter, cookie letter, ah, cookie letter, cookie letter, ah, hunchback letter, hunchback letter, ah. And when you're in Arkansas and Mississippi, you're going to be like, I live in a trailer. I'm a hunker down on this. I'm a hunker down on this Hurricane Cat 5. I can ride it out. Even though one of your earliest memories in life is the Wizard of Oz, and you don't see a trailer in the sky, but you kind of see some sort of like detached house in the sky, you're seeing something going on there. The 40s decade is a critical time. So it's here where you, I'm going to say you're going to work till the day you die or not. Maximizing earnings should be a main focus in your 40s. Um, earnings is just as important as savings. It's just as important as investing in my world. So I want you to start seeing everything as an investment product. And I can talk about price to earnings, price to sales ratio. And on this hour, and I do this hour, two hours a week, uh, four times a month, eight hours, um, 80, good gosh, uh, 88, about 100 hours a year of stock talk. I'm going to dedicate it to trying to get you to be a smarter stock picker or investor overall. It doesn't have to be stocks. It could be indexes. But like, for instance, one of the things I want you to start seeing is everything in your life is a financial decision. I've got credit card, credit karma on my phone and I love it. It's, it's a, it's a way of monitoring my credit score and I'm right around the 800 level, which is more than excellent. It's great. It's fantastic. But I've got a friend who's at 813, and we have this little competition where we kind of like text each other pictures of our credit score. And credit scores are super important because they can get you a lower-priced mortgage. And with that lower-priced mortgage, you can save for retirement. Ta-da! Just like that. With that, lower, with that great credit score, you can get a lower-priced loan on a vehicle. I like two-year used vehicles. You may like brand-new vehicles. I'm going to have more money than you when it's all said and done. Ta-da! Um... But credit scores also can get you a house when a buyer has two offers, three offers, or I'm sorry, a seller has two or three or four offers. They may look at who's got the best loan package ready, and that may be tied towards your credit score. Uh, a renter, a landlord may say, you know what, I see that you have an 813 credit score, but this guy here, he's a Yahoo, he's got a 650. That Yahoo's missed a couple times paying credit cards. And that Yahoo may not pay me my, my landlord check and screw that. I'm going with you, the higher credit score. So credit scores are important, but I want you to see everything in your life as a financial issue. And I'm trying to make this segment like pound that home. The movie of 2017 that was a big surprise to everyone was Stephen King's adoption, adaptation, not adoption. I'm going to adopt a clown. That's freaky. The best part about the new movie It or the movie It was Austin is just a fun city. And when Wonder Woman came out, they only let, they didn't only, but for the first day, they, they, only women were allowed to see Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman. I love that. I think that's funny. Um, and to be in a, uh, I'm not a woman, but to be in a theater of only women, that would be pretty cool. And to see in a woman superhero, I think that'd be pretty empowering. Uh, I saw Ben Heim, and it's three sisters. And at one point in time, one of 
during the talk period in between songs, one of the girls, one of the sisters notices that there's like a 12-year-old girl in the audience with headphones on, and she's like, I love that. Um, but Stephen King's adaptation uh, for Warner Brothers shattered records when it earned $117 million uh, for the month of the month of September, it shattered records for horror movies. It shattered records. Um, the highest, you know, before that 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 September opening of it, Paranormal Activity three was the biggest horror opening at fifty two million. This was one hundred and seventeen million dollars. That doubled it. And back to that theater in Austin. I think it's a cinnamon draft house one that you can drink beer at, which is a fun concept. Um. Long story short, I don't make a long story short at this point in time. I don't even like him. Uh, oh, they did a screening of it where they only let people dressed up as clowns see the movie. I think that's funny. I think that's funny. So it also smashed the record of Transylvania 2's September opening, which had $48.5 million in 2015. So not only did they blow through everyone's optimistic and aggressive projections, they, they trounced them. And this is Warner Brothers, who is a division of, wait for it, wait for it, Time Warner. So analysts were so conservative with projections <coughs> and confounding the fact that it was an R-rated film and confounding the fact that it kind of differed and veered from the book. The book has two phases where there's the kids deal with this clown and then later in life, the adults of those kids deal with it. They didn't do the adults version. So there will be a sequel down the road. That's not a shocker. That's not a spoiler. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. The clown is really your your mind. Lock everything down now. So its success is still pretty astounding, especially considering the projection from the director. Um, the director was told to keep, keep the budget low in case it doesn't work out. $35 million and pulls in $117 million in the first weekend. That's called a winner when a chicken dinner. Um, the reviews were pretty good. Um, you know, I don't know if you do Rotten Tomatoes and such, but it's out there. And, uh, you know, psycho, I don't know, a homicidal clown. I mean, do we need to say more? But I did love that the homicidal clown of... Uh, <laughs> thank you, homicidal clown. Thank you, Homicidal Clown, in my closet. Uh, please get out of my closet. Please. I'm not really afraid of clowns, but then again, do you remember a couple of years ago there was a, a thing in the South that clowns were walking around and uh, scaring people? And I think you got to be careful in the South because in the South there was a theory, hey, let's shoot Hurricane Irma. And people, you know, they, they just need an excuse to shoot guns, shoot their weapons. Everyone owns weapons. They're like, let's shoot at Hurricane Irma. Maybe they'll like blow it up and change the, the gale force winds down to just, you know, a little bit. Anyway, that's enough. But uh, even movies are, are somehow tied towards investments. Warner Brothers. And that's like one of the areas that I want you to start thinking about with your kids is like, let's start showing them what investing is. And one of my friends, you know, she's cute. Um, she's done fantastic. She's my friend who I share credit information with. And uh, her score versus my score. I'll show you mine if you show me yours kind of thing. And um, she had Spotify. I'm like, why are you using Spotify? You, you own Apple. And she's, you know, she's uh, done quite well in saving for retirement. And I'm always proud of people that 
do that because it's easy to go out and buy dress or buy shoes or do something that isn't going to help you. And um, something like, you know, with kids, like if you show them, like, you just bought a pair of Nikes, now let's go buy shares of Nikes, you understand that it's all about product. And that's what the segment's all about. I don't understand people that have Spotify who invest in Apple. I don't get it. So um, there was a thing back many, many years ago called the black dollar where um, African-American activists said, you know, what you should do to support your community is spend in your community um, and don't go outside your community per se. I know that I'm not summing that up perfectly, but as an investor, I think you should invest in the products that you consume so you can at least understand what you're investing in on some level. I know that's very Warren Buffett, Peter Lynch of me, uh, but Warren Buffett drinks Coca-Cola, Dr. Pepper, stuff like that, and he invests in the stuff. It makes a little bit of sense. Little Imagine Dragons taking us a break. It's 15 before the hour. Ding dong, diddly, ding dong. Get the kids out. Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at kdow.biz or on the KDOW radio app. I do my best to over-talk about a trend on digital assistance and digital media and what it will mean and what it doesn't mean. And when you look at a company's core business share of revenue, Amazon's all about commerce and Google's all about search and Facebook's all about social. And Apple is about their operating system and uh, devices. So as far as what Siri and Cortana are going to be able to do with, you know, using the operating system to kind of jumpstart into the digital assistant world. Sales of high-end devices are going to continue, but the forecast that the cost of accessing a digital assistant is going to head to zero. Now, that's a whoa kind of moment. And, you know, in 2014, we got our first Amazon Alexa, 180 bucks. And then, you know, you started seeing voice-powered assistants being built into TVs with Amazon and other devices, um, fully featured standalone dots now, um, and Google Home sticks and situations like that. And then Google Assistant launched on the iPhone uh, in 2017, so free. So to access the ability to have a digital assistant is zero. And it's going to continue to move down in all sorts of devices. 17% of consumers right now own a smart speaker. Um, that's pretty crazy. That's already like, whoa. Now, most of those are Amazon Echoes. So about 23% of smart speakers uh, are Amazon Echoes. 25% are the Amazon Dot. Uh, then you start getting like the Amazon Echo Show. Does anyone really have that? Yeah, surprisingly they do. Amazon Echo Look and Amazon Echo Tap. Uh, Google Home is about 11%, and then there's 13% in the smart speaker world that's you know claimed by other. Apple's not in the game yet. Over a quarter of existing smart speaker owners say that they're using more than one device. So it's likely that the average smart speaker household will have 2.4 devices uh, by 2021. So multiple 26%, 74% are using one single device. You don't know this about yourself, do you? So it's kind of crazy. Uh, super users, the majority of owners, uh, even the super users, primarily use smart speakers for music and a small set of portal functions. So the smart speaker 
is about you know it plays music as the dominant issue but right now you can say hey alexa what time is it or let's see my phone's around me hey siri what time is it hey siri what time is it and she's looking and it's 654 a.m there you, you go so no way. Way. so um so most of us are using our assistants to ask things like checking time checking directions Hey Siri, navigate home. And, Getting directions to home. You know that's what we're using our smart assistants for, right? Uh, you can okay. ask for news. You can ask for alarm timers. You can ask for weather, general questions. And you know, hey Siri, when was the last time the Yankees were in the World Series? Uh, and it'll search and find it. So, but most of us are playing music on our smart speakers at this point in time. Research shows that 65% of users have not yet enabled a third-party skill. Skills discovery is difficult. So I got an Amazon Echo, and Amazon makes sure that I get an email basically every day telling me about some of the new skills. And some of the new skills are things like Play Jeopardy. Um, So someone built an app so that you can play Jeopardy. Um, Someone built an app so you can play, you know, 20 questions. Someone built an app... Trivia app. Uh, so there's game or trivia skills. There's news skills. There's music and radio skills. There's podcast skills. There's shopping skills. There's weather skills. And one thing that Amazon is beating everyone at at this point in time is they opened it up and they said, if anyone wants to build this, do it. So there's 25,000 Amazon skills at this point in time, of which I've probably used four. Skill usage is likely to be native to each user's device, and that's you know a bit of a problem. Because the device is always listening. You know, again, I didn't know Siri was listening when I asked Siri a question just a second ago. Hey, Siri, when was the last time the Yankees were in the World Series? And she starts to search for me, or he starts to search for me. Um, Yankees were the Yankees in the World, the World Series. There you go. So, um... So areas of native integration for digital assistant, you know, PCs now integrate field microphones for voice activation. Um, then you get some headphones like the Bose headphones, uh, the noise cancellation that will have Google assistant built in. Apple AirPods have assistance built in. Then you get the mobile phones out of the assistance built in where we're going to get into with the digital assistants in the next couple of years is appliances televisions, and automobiles. Automobile manufacturers currently integrate basic voice assistants, but they're going to go deeper and deeper with that very, very soon. So so talking about this big trend and how it's you know multi-billion dollar investment opportunity and how companies are you know basically fighting for survival, and you don't even know it. But if we're going to be talking for all of our searches and our ability to use our hands to go down to zero, will we lose our hands? Will, will Darwin make us fingerless nubs maybe um, so what could change the rules in the game of digital assistance well I think there could be regulation government regulation could place limits on platform control um, similar to what the EU has done with Google's uh, antitrust case there could be crowdsourced data open access to new and crowdsourced data will greatly enhance the user experience there could be scaling globally reach a global scale and adoption will require expansion and growth markets Alexa is seeing faster growth in non-English speaking countries. There'll be acceleration of artificial intelligence. 
there'll be a security breach that could always become a problem. When someone comes to your house and gets all your credit cards off your phone just by asking for credit card numbers. Problem, problem. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, invest in more. Find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.